Welcome back to Season 5 of Career Compass, a podcast from SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management, and the SHRM Foundation. Career Compass prepares the future leaders today for better workplaces tomorrow. As the voice of all things work, SHRM supports students and emerging professionals with the advice, information, and resources for every step of your career. Designed for the student emerging professional, Career Compass delivers timely, relevant, and critical conversations about work to help you succeed in your career journey. Thank you for joining us for this episode. My name is Vernon Williams, and I will be your co-host. And my name is Allie Sharp, and I will be your other co-host. During this episode, we will explore the ever-changing world of talent acquisition. Today, our guest is accomplished talent acquisition manager, Adrian Abel Sinclair. Also, just so you know, this episode is valid for professional development credit or PDCs for the term CP or SCP. We will provide the code later in the episode. And with that, let's get started. Before we jump into today's episode, Vernon, as a candidate, what is your favorite part of the recruitment process? And are there any parts you wish you could avoid? I hope this doesn't make me too much of a nerd, but I very much enjoy sort of telling my story and weaving it into the context of what the job description says and why it is specifically that I would be a good fit for that particular organization. So for example, when I was uh, being recruited to work here with SHRM, one of the things that I loved was the whole pushback to move forward and some of the other guiding principles that SHRM sort of lives by. That was what Honestly, especially when our our chief knowledge officer came on and had the conversation with me, that was what was driving me and inspiring me. And I interviewed in such a way that it was very energetic. And I was like, I hope they don't think that that was fake. And it came across as uh, not being genuine. And, you know, obviously, ultimately, it worked out. Uh, The part that I would say that I wish I could avoid is probably something related to salary negotiation. I just wish folks would just either post it all online so that you could see it and you just kind of fall into a box or just pay pay the fair wage. Uh, but I always feel like there's this hidden gem of knowledge out there somewhere or another that somebody might be being taken advantage of. And so that that's what concerns me or worries me. Uh, and I wish I could just skip that whole part of any sort of hiring process and just, here's what it is. Here's what we're going to pay you. We all know that it's fair. Everybody can see it and we're good to go. I agree. There's definitely some ups and downs to the recruitment process, especially for me having graduated and started looking for a job right as COVID was kind of running rampant across the country. Like I must have had a very different um, career searching experience than you, Vernon. So hopefully I can get some of those answers today from our wonderful guests about how I could maybe talk about salary negotiation or somebody could maybe weave a story and maybe that will come up in today's conversation. So without further delay, let's go ahead and get to our guests. Adrian Abel Sinclair is a senior manager for talent acquisitions at Airlines Reporting Corporation, ARC, which has been a trusted provider of settlement services for airlines, travel agencies, and corporate travel departments, settling more than $97 billion in transactions annually. Prior to joining ARC, Adrian worked in talent acquisitions for JBG Smith, Hyatt Hotels Corporation, and Interstate Hotels and Resorts. She also serves as director for career services at a local university, which is where our paths crossed. Adrienne earned her bachelor's of science in marketing from High Point University, her master's in business administration with a focus in HR from St. Leo University, and recently gained her SHRM CP credential. We are extremely excited about today's conversation. And with that, Career Compass would like to warmly welcome Adrienne Abel Sinclair. Thank you for the invitation. It's my pleasure to join you all and share some stories and insights. 
So one of the first interactions that we had, uh, I don't know that you remember this, we had lunch uh, in the cafeteria area and we connected <laughs> over the fact that both of us had MBAs, uh, which I think made us a little bit unique in the higher ed space. And so you probably have gotten this question before, but given that you have an MBA, uh, you could have chosen many fields. You could have gone into a, a lot of different directions. What made you take your talents to HR and what attracted you to this field? Yeah, great question, Vernon. And I remember that conversation vividly our first week. But before I talk about what attracted me to HR, I want to share a little bit about my early years in the working world and how one particular job that led me on my career path to HR. So, you know, when I was 16, my parents told me that I was, I was going to work, right? I was not an athlete. I didn't partake in school organizations and activities. And quite frankly, I had enough time to work a part-time job while I finished up my last two years of high school. So I landed my first job at Walgreens and they hired me to be the beauty advisor behind the perfume counter. And what was pretty cool at the time, and I don't know if Walgreens still does this or not, but beauty advisors can earn a commission on top of their hourly pay if they sell specific cosmetic products at the beauty counter. So one crazy fun fact about me, I did very well with that. I actually ranked number 44 in the company, number four in the region, and like number one in the districts for cosmetic sales. I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> and I was going to say, I know, Vernon, you're probably thinking, how does cosmetic sales lead you to human resources? So as a teenager, you know, 16, 17, this was the first time where I realized that I had a special talent in building connections with people, making them feel comfortable, listening to their needs and helping them with their buying decisions. So fast forward today, if you were to ask me, you know, what strength or skill led me to become a successful HR talent acquisition leader, I would tell you that I have this knack for engaging and influencing people which all stems from my early career with Walgreens. Now, of course, I go into college thinking, well, maybe I should pursue marketing since I like things that revolve around sales, customer relations, buyer behavior, and just overall business. And I think marketing could have been my career path, but I graduated in 2010, which happened to be the hardest time to find a job because we were dead smack in a recession. Uh, but however, thankfully, I had this amazing mentor from my college internship who referred me to a senior HR officer who was looking for an HR coordinator to support the workforce development office at a small naval command in Norfolk, Virginia. And that was my first introduction uh, to human resources. So going back to your question, Vernon, about what attracted me to HR, well, one, it was all about timing. And I say this because the HR coordinator opportunity was presented to me at a time where recent grads were struggling to get a job due to the recession. And I'll be honest, I was not about to be picky about where I was going to work after college. But more importantly, number two, it was a role that was most aligned to what I was learning in school. And they were looking for someone who enjoyed working with people and building relationships, someone who was welcoming and can create this positive experience for people, and also someone who was business savvy with the ability to follow processes, manage multiple tasks while staying organized and, and being able to think strategically and be a valuable team player. 
all of those characteristics in most ways described me and the strengths that I had already developed. So it only made sense to pursue the HR field. And I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to do so. I appreciate that response. And I I can certainly attest to the fact that you really do take the time to get to know folks and generally care about uh, the things that impact their lives. And so I know that I appreciated that as, as a colleague. I want to sort of follow up on something we mentioned in your your intro that you have recently earned your SHRM CP credential. You already had an MBA, which a lot of people consider to be sort of a terminal business degree. What factors went into uh, the decision to earn your SHRM certification? Other than the fact, and I love plugging this, we know that SHRM research indicates that emerging professionals that do earn their SHRM certification earn about $11,000 more than their peers. That may not be what was motivating you, but I'm just curious, what motivated you? (laughs) Great question. So, well, I received my MBA degree with a focus in HR management about eight years ago in 2014, and I had just moved up to Northern Virginia to start my career with interstate hotels and resorts. And I was looking or working a full-time, I was working full-time plus driving back and forth between here and Hampton Roads so that I can attend class and be able to wrap up my graduate program. So at that time, graduating with my master's was a huge accomplishment. I didn't have this sense of urgency to take the certification exam. You know, honestly, I was done with studying and I was ready to relax and enjoy my new life in Washington, D.C., And so it was not a priority for me. Um, It wasn't until this year, 2022, where I felt this sense of motivation and commitment to finally go after my SHRM certification. Partially, my decision was due to the need of wanting to challenge myself. But the other deciding factor was more about where I was in my career. I was at a point where I was ready to take on leadership uh, responsibilities. And I knew the SHRM certification would set me up for success where I'll be able to expand my knowledge outside of talent acquisition and make better HR decisions. You know, one of the downsides, and people will say this all the time, I think one of the downsides to talent acquisition is that the role can be siloed. You don't necessarily get the exposure in other areas of human resources. That said, studying for the SHRM certification empowered me to step outside of my TA box and be able to think bigger and more strategically. So, you know, for example, when I'm sitting in an HR meeting about how to improve employee engagement and retention, I'm not sitting there thinking, well, this topic doesn't really pertain to me uh, because it's recruiting and let me just be quiet. I'm actually becoming an active participant by sharing and implementing ideas that will make a major impact to the company's overall strategic plan. So, For those who are deciding whether they should pursue a master's degree or take the SHRM certification or both, it's really up to them. I think MBA degree builds a foundation and gives people a broader understanding of different areas in business where the SHRM certification dives deep into HR competencies and how to apply that knowledge into real life workplace scenarios, which I believe is super beneficial. That was great feedback, Adrian, and I definitely understand kind of getting that hands-on um, experience from the SHRM CP versus, you know, more so learning from a classroom experience in your MBA. Um, I'm starting a master's program. I know I talk about this every episode, but I just recently started my master's of marketing, and so I kind of understand where the 
first answer kind of came from where you're talking about your interests and really relating to the consumer. But following up with that, um, you've done some talent acquisitions at many different companies throughout your career. Um, I'm wondering how does hiring for hotel corporations differ from real estate investment firms and from other industries that you may have worked in? Yeah. So there are similarities in the real estate and hospitality industry when it comes to recruiting for certain positions. Um, the corporate office size is generally the same. I hire for similar teams like marketing, accounting, IT, finance, and operations. And most of the positions were, you know, professional level up to executive roles. I think the major differences in commercial real estate is that they are more finance development and investment focused, where corporate hospitality is more so focused on sales and operations. Now, here's where things differ. It's not so much industry to industry, it's more the type of recruiting. Um, on-site recruiting, and some people call it field recruiting, but I'm gonna to refer to on-site recruiting. That is an, a vast difference compared to corporate recruiting. I'll give you an example. In 2016, I was hired to become the area talent acquisition manager for Hyatt Hotels. This was an opportunity for me to dive deep into talent acquisition and for the first time lead re recruiting efforts on my own. I was leaving a team of five recruiters at Interstate to join essentially a one-man recruiting department at Hyatt and recruit for three large full-service hotels in Washington, D.C.s. And just to kind of paint a better picture, these hotels had about 500 employees 800 rooms, and a large food and beverage staff. Now, I did have the support of the HR teams at each hotel, along with three coordinators, but I was hired primarily to focus on staffing. This was a big transition for me because I was now getting a taste of high-volume hourly recruiting, which is completely different from corporate recruiting. And why is that? You know, turnover was higher. The candidate profile was different. The need to fill was greater and more immediate, and it was boots on the ground. You know, at times I was filling 25 to 40 requisitions, where in corporate, your typical rec load is around 10 to 15. But again, that really depends on the company. At Hyatt, I was recruiting housekeepers, front desk associates, sales managers, as well as food and beverage staff like cooks, waiters, stewards, greeters. You name it, I was recruiting it. And it wasn't always easy. Now, Vernon and Allie, I assume you guys live close to D.C., is that correct? You know it. We're right here in Northern Virginia. Awesome. So you probably know how competitive it is here. There are hotels and restaurants everywhere. You know, everyone is looking for the same talent. And before the pandemic, the race for talent was a struggle when it came to hospitality recruiting. People would work their jobs for about six to 12 months and then be on to the next, next job down the street. Sometimes candidates would apply, they would get hired, but then they wouldn't show up for their first day, which is kind of unheard of in corporate recruiting. So overall, it was a different mindset. But to this day, recruiting at Hyatt was one of my favorite roles because I became a talent, a strategic talent acquisition partner. The hotels depended on me and the impact of recruiting was more immediate. You could literally see the end result. 
I had to be resourceful and think outside the box to fill these positions. I built relationships with the community and partnered with multiple nonprofit career development organizations who focus on asylum seekers, people with disabilities, veterans, minorities, opportunity youth. And for those that don't know what opportunity youth, these are people between the age of 16 and 22 who don't have the means and resources to go to college, but they need a stable, good job to take care of their family at home. So this is where I developed a love for career coaching and development. I enjoyed working with people all around the community to help prepare them for the workforce and transition them into the hospitality field, which is one of the reasons why I decided to leave talent acquisition for a short period of time and enter education as the director of career services. I appreciate that response, Adrian, uh, especially the part around sort of what the differences and the nuances are with corporate recruiting. We'll probably ask another question around that a little bit later, especially since that might be changing given some of the talent wars that we're experiencing in the workplace. But I want to touch on sort of the the last part of what you said about the experience in the higher education space. So like I said earlier, our paths crossed when you were the director for career services. What was some of the best advice that you gave to our students who were looking to be hired, especially since we've got lots of emerging professional students listening to this? And maybe some of this might even touch on how you talk about salary when you're in those interviews. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I transitioned to the university world in in the fall of 2019, and I was asked to rebrand career services and really help students utilize this free resource. And one of the the services we offered was 30-minute one-on-one sessions with students. My team, including myself, would meet anywhere around five to 10 students a day. And our major focus was preparing students how to present themselves in front of employers. Uh, These sessions included everything from helping students with building their resumes, uh, preparing them for interviews, consulting them on which career path to take, and how to engage with employers virtually and in person. We talked about compensation and how to negotiate salary. We also talked about that as well. I think my best advice focused more on interviewing, naturally, because I think that is where I had the most insight from being on the other side of the table, and I knew what employers were looking for. So I could also see that students were more nervous about interviews and did not know what to expect or how to prepare for them. Uh, Like most people, they would try to think of every question that could be asked and write down a response for it. Uh, I'm sure you've done this. I have. Uh, Sometimes we'll ask Google, like, what questions should I expect in an interview for a marketing coordinator role? Although that method may work, it's not the best way to prepare because you never know what questions the employer will present. So I help students think about interview preparation in a different way, which was quicker and more effective especially when it comes to preparing for situational and behavioral interviewing. And I assume you guys know what this is, uh, but this is, you know, when an employer asks, tell me about a time when you did this or give me an example of that. My method helps students prepare their examples in categories or what we call competencies. So first we would look at job postings and see what skills are being highlighted. So is it communication, collaboration, problem solving, influencing others, critical thinking. These are all behavioral competencies. Second, we help students build their examples based off these competencies. So for instance, I would ask the student to think about their internship or classroom experience 
and have them present one or two examples that target how they build relationships or collaborate. And then we work through that example by coming up with what, what is the situation? Highlight the task. What action did you take? And what, what was the result? So what is that? The classic STAR approach, which I'm sure you guys know about. This is something, the STAR approach is something that students learn all the time in school, but we don't really learn or students don't learn how to pull those examples out. My goal was to help the student compartmentalize their experience and be able to throw these examples in competency buckets. That way, when a question comes up in an interview, especially if it's a bit of a curveball, they can easily think, well, it sounds like the employer is asking me about how I collaborate. Excellent. I know how to how to answer this. I can grab from the collaboration bucket and use that example. And this method, I believe, put students at ease. And it was also kind of a way to help them prepare and not be underprepared or overprepared, but it utilized their time a lot better. And that is something that I think is one of the best advice that I have given to those students. That's great. I definitely utilized my career services center um, when I was an undergrad. And, you know, they kind of struggled to get people in. But I think once people did go and they realized the value in it, it was invaluable. Um, and it really helped prepare us for our interviews, especially like I mentioned, like doing them virtually, because that was kind of an uncharted territory for us. Yeah, yeah. I do. I want to add to I, I know the salary conversation comes up. And that is something that is a struggle. And, and Vernon, you mentioned this earlier, but like you wish that the companies could just tell you what is the compensation range so that you're not having to kind of play this like guessing game. I think there's a way to kind of uh, target that or combat that when it comes to talking to recruiters. You know, one thing, the recruiter really shouldn't be asking you, what are you currently making? They should be asking, what are your expectations? Like, what what salary range do you want to be in? And I always tell students and young professionals to be honest about their salary expectations you can do some research online and look into what is this position paying? What is the range? But you should always be honest about where you want to be. And I think some people go into that question and not want to answer it. That only kind of frustrates the recruiter a little bit because the recruiter is trying to help you. We're trying to get you in the best direction and we want to, we want to advocate for the, the candidate. And sometimes what we don't want to do is push you along in the process and your salary range is above asking and then we wasted your time. So it's a question that I think is important and should be answered, but it also should be a, a very true response from you. You know, if you're looking for a specific range, make sure that is a real realistic range and not something that's kind of pulled out from, you know, a random place. So I think it's just really important to have that kind of in mind before you get on a phone call with a recruiter. I definitely agree. I think I was recommended to like do research on different salaries for like where the area, where the job was and like what the title was, you know, I've also found websites that like take into consideration your education level. So I think that's really cool. And this kind of ties in the salary question with like how people like to work. Um, so, you know, in 2021, 
SHRM research showed that uh, 40% of U.S. workers would prefer to work completely remotely. With the COVID pandemic and the new world of working from home, how have you addressed the desire for remote work? And then I guess if you want to tie it back to salary, like influencing that in their decision to want to work from home. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Ali, this was a bit of a challenge in 2021, as my company at the time did decide to bring employees back on a hybrid schedule. This means we would work three days in the office and two days at home, which in my opinion, it worked out well. It felt good to see your colleagues again, You know, be able to collaborate in a room together, go to happy hours occasionally, and still have the flexibility to be at home. However, my job as a recruiter was to get talent in the door, and I did face a lot of resistance from candidates who desired a 100% remote environment. And unfortunately, I was losing some really good talent because they couldn't commit to a hybrid schedule. When it came to addressing this issue, we had to think differently and become more proactive with our sourcing. Uh, Because at the end of the day, our company was not returning to 100% remote. We were in real estate. We need to be back in the office. Plus, we based our values on bringing people together and collaborating. So I completely supported that decision. My team just had to get a little more creative in the way we recruited talent. We focused more on the overall benefits, including salary. But some of the cool benefits, like one thing that the company offered was being able to bring your dog to work and you could bring your dog to work every day Uh, or being able to dress for your day, which means, you know, a T-shirt or jeans. Our CEO would wear, you know, khaki shorts and chucks. So that way you felt, you know, being a little bit more comfortable. We had excellent amenities like cold brew and bagels in the morning and these huddle rooms that had Zoom capability. So in a lot of ways, I painted this picture to candidates to make them feel like they were going to be working in a more like co-working space rather than this cold, stale office. And it was all very true. You know, my company offered an amazing office space and you didn't have to sit at your desk all day. You could work in the lobby or in the huddle rooms or outside on the rooftop. So it it felt very much like home. And that's how I addressed candidates who desired a remote environment. It was letting them know that, yes, we are in the office, but this office offers the same type of flexibility and sense of feeling at home. So I kind of want to follow up on that a little bit, Adrian, and ask about sort of where you see this going over the next three to five years. And I think we were talking about this a little bit pre-show uh, given some of the trends that we, we are seeing in the next few months that potentially a recession could be coming, where do you see sort of the talent space coming? How does it how is it going to impact or potentially change your work uh, when you factor in folks' desires for remote work, salary and competition with potential recession that's on the horizon? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I feel like I'm in this change bubble every day. It does not stop. It feels like, you know, things are consistently changing. You know, I've been in talent acquisition for 12 years now, and I want to say I've seen it all, but <laughs> I don't want to jinx it. Uh, so, yes, the talent market will continue to evolve over the years. You know, when I graduated, employers had the upper advantage because unemployment was at an all time high due to the recession. And now fast forward to 2022, college students are coming out of school with a list of items that employers must check off in order for them to join that company. 
That said, as a talent manager, we have the best insight because we know exactly what candidates are looking for and what our competitors are doing. And what's interesting is that, you know, talent acquisition for a very long time, recruiting wasn't always looked at as the most valuable part of the organization. But now I'm seeing that talent acquisition is becoming more valuable to a company and is having a stronger voice at the table. We are coming up with ideas to help our teams create better programs uh, to align with what the market is doing. For instance, I'm constantly talking to candidates about salary expectations and asking them what it will take to join our company. And I'm using that information to relay it back to my teams so that we can strategize and build new efforts towards compensation and work-life balance. You know, one great example, and I'm going to pick on my company right now, uh, Airlines Reporting Corporation. Our HR team implemented a new policy called WorkFlex. Now, WorkFlex is an art term. And what that means is that we allow employees to work virtually without set days in the office. ARC employees can work from the office. They can work at home or any combination of the two. Uh, there will be times when it's important to gather in person or maybe the manager asked the um, employee to come in. So you do have to be able to come in on an as-need basis. But overall, the employee has a choice of where they work day to day. And I think this is a game changer in a lot of ways because we're attracting candidates who prefer a remote environment. But we're also catering to those who rather be in the office and away from home because as you said, you know, 40% is looking for remote, but there's still another group of people that want to be in the office. And so we're noticing that employees are more obligated to stay with the company where there is flexibility and control over their own schedule. And some people put that over compensation. I think flexibility is one of the biggest things right now um, that is making companies more competitive. So it's policies like this that help talent managers recruit the best talent and stay uh, competitive in the market. I think you hit the nail right on the head. It's it's all about flexibility. And I think the companies that are willing to sort of work with employees are the ones that you're going to see attracting the best talent moving forward. I want to pause just for a second to take care of a couple of housekeeping items. First, those of you listening to this podcast who are seeking professional development credit, this program is valid for 0.5 PDCs for the SHRM CP or SHRM SCP. The code to redeem your PDCs is 23-RSRD5. Please note that this code will expire on October 5th, 2023. Again, that code is the number two, the number three, dash, R as in Romeo, S as in Sierra, R as in Romeo, D as in Delta, and the number five. And speaking of PDCs, one place to earn more than 20 PDCs while networking with peers, connecting with mentors, and expanding your HR knowledge is at Inclusion this October in beautiful San Diego, California. Inclusion 2022 is more than a conference. It's a chance to change the way you see the world and create a more equitable world of work. And it's even better for students with discounted member pricing at just $3.95 for in-person registration and $2.45 for virtual passes. All right, so jumping back into the podcast, uh, you mentioned that you may have seen just about everything. So this question is right up your alley. 
So I know that you probably have done the entry level recruiting. Uh, you've talked a little bit about that. You've probably have done management, maybe even C-suite. Can you tell us what the differences are in those recruitment processes between sort of the entry level employee and more of a senior level employee? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing I, I did not mention when we were talking about, you know, corporate recruiting versus on-site recruiting. If you're interested in talent acquisition, I highly recommend that you get exposure and recruiting at all levels. It will make you a more well-rounded talent manager. And here's why. You really get to learn about people and their different backgrounds and skill sets. Um, every job attracts a specific candidate profile. You may talk to people with well-educated background or someone with extensive working experience. You may talk to someone who just moved to the United States for the first time or someone who just simply wants to work so they can provide for their families. I love my job because I get to see people for who they are, you know, no matter what level I'm recruiting for. I get to listen to their stories and hear their accomplishments. And my job is to remain unbiased and accurately make an assessment to determine whether that person fits the job criteria or not. Now, I talked about this earlier, but you have to be resourceful, right? So certain positions, you can lean on LinkedIn recruiter to source candidates, but other positions like the ones I recruited for at Hyatt, I have to lean on the community and nonprofit organizations who work with specific candidate pools and demographics. Lastly, the way you pre-screen or interview candidates will change throughout the process as well. You know, for example, pre-screens and interviews are longer when it comes to mid-level to C-suite professional roles. We analyze the candidate a little bit more. We focus on competency-based questions. We look for critical thinking and leadership skills, and we pay attention to just their overall employment history. Like, is this person jumping around? Are they growing upward? Are they moving laterally? Will they bring value to the organization? Whereas, you know, with hourly and entry level roles, we are looking at personality, you know, work ethic. Does this person have drive and willingness to learn? Specifically for hourly roles, interviews are shorter, you know, more to the point. We're asking more yes, no questions. Can you work these hours? Uh, can you lift heavy items? Uh, do you have this specific skill set, and are there any limitations? Um, with hourly positions, you have to move quick because they can just walk down the street and find the next job. So for example, I spent more time doing on-site hiring fairs where we would invite candidates to interview on-site and then present offers by the end of the day. Where in the corporate role, it's a longer process. There's a lot more people and stakeholders who have input on who we hire. And of course, there's a lot more approvals as well. So I would say that would be the, the differences um, in terms of what the candidate profile looks like, you know, how we're assessing candidates, and just in overall the interview process and, and the selection stages as well. Adrian, the last question we want to ask you is just what kind of advice would you offer to a student or emerging professional looking to enter the talent acquisition space for the first time? And what would you say are the key things that they should do to start a successful career? Yeah, so the first thing that 
you have to be comfortable talking to people. You know, I spend 90% of my day talking to people at different levels, and that's internally and externally. I recommend engaging in activities that require students to build relationships with people, you know, be able to present information or take in information, and most importantly, influence behavior, right? So again, I go back to my first job at Walgreens as a beauty advisor. I had to be confident and engaging. I had to figure out how to convince a customer to purchase this cosmetic product, very much like today where I'm looking at ways to motivate candidates on joining our company. Uh, You have to be willing to start also in a more entry-level administrative capacity. You know, some students get lucky and come out of college at a level one recruiter. But I think starting in a recruiting coordinator role is the best way to learn talent acquisition and its business. It's also a very valuable role because the coordinators are the backbone to talent acquisition. I know as a a senior manager of talent acquisition, there are a lot of areas of the recruitment process that I cannot focus on because I'm in the weeds. I'm talking to candidates. I'm scheduling them. I'm I'm conversing with um, hiring managers. So I need that coordinator to really kind of help on the back end, especially when it comes to the onboarding processes and um, really creating a good experience for new hires. So, you know, I strongly recommend that if, you know, you're an entry level person or you're coming out of school and you want to start your career in talent acquisition, definitely look for those recruiting coordinator type roles. Not everyone spends their entire career in talent acquisition, but for those who do, they genuinely love what they do. You know, we enjoy changing people's lives. We appreciate learning new backgrounds. We learn to adapt to ongoing changes in the market and we're driven by feeling a need for the company. Adrian, thank you so much for taking the time to share your journey, your thoughts uh, around the different HR career pathways and specifically talent acquisitions. I really enjoyed this conversation. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And with that, we're going to bring this episode of Career Compass to a close. We'd like to thank Sherm and the Sherm Foundation for providing us with this platform. But more importantly, we'd like to thank you for joining us and hope you stay with us through the rest of the season as we discuss more topics like this. For more exclusive content, resources, and tools to help you succeed in your career, consider joining Sherm as a student member. You can visit us at sherm.org forward slash students to learn more about being a part of a community of over 300,000 HR and business leaders who impact the lives of over 115 million employees worldwide. If you like what you heard, follow and subscribe Career Compass on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. And if you have a topic you think we should cover or a guest we should hear from, email us at careercompasspodcast at sherm.org. Lastly, are you looking for more work or career-related podcasts? Check out All Things Work and Honest HR at sherm.org forward slash podcast. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Career Compass.